today, I actually think that celebrity, for the lack of better words, really is the only cheat code in the consumer economy. It's the only hack. Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Glory Media, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from each other, the question remains the same. What's your mission? Hi, Ants. How are you? It's such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. Hi, how are you? Thank you guys for having me. I'm, I'm so excited. There's so many things to talk about um, and so many things that I'm excited to chat with you. You've had such an interesting and prolific career. So there's um, just a, a million things that I want to get your perspective on. So I wanted to start off the, our, our chat today with just kind of like a, a larger, I guess, um, to get your POV on what do you think is the most interesting thing that's happening in business and fashion today? I think the most interesting thing that's happening in, in fashion is that we are living through the complete intersection of commerce and entertainment today. And my company Skims that I started with Kim Kardashian I guess is a great example of that, but it's certainly not the only one. You know, fashion shows have gone from showing a collection to buyers to becoming global media happenings. I used to say that Kim was the only one who, well, she was the first one to truly understand that the Met Ball is not a party, it's a global media event. And she would always treat it as such with the same care and consideration and really to create true moments um, that was amplified through social and traditional media today. Yeah, that's very interesting. I actually want to touch on that later on in the interview. But maybe if we um, kind of rewind a little bit, you've had a really big role in some very successful companies from Brady and Skims to your early days at Wallpaper and GQ Style. In your experience, what do you think are the hallmarks of an exceptional brand? An exceptional brand have to create an exceptional product that is differentiated in the market. I think the product by itself is almost omnipotent. On my list is number one, it's number two and number three, and then kind of comes everything else. I look at marketing as a way to accelerate awareness of something that would ultimately be just as successful, but it would take longer to get there. So I think product is is omnipotent. If it's Coca-Cola, if it's Tesla, if it's Louis Vuitton, and hopefully one day people would say skims, it really comes down to great product, great differentiated product, 
yeah, I'll put that on the top of the list, not just today, but, but forever. And when you say great product, what does that mean exactly? Does it mean in terms of in consideration of the consumer or in terms of how it's innovative? How do you define what a great product means? I'll use Skims as an example. Most people think of Skims and attribute our success to our marketing chops and Kim Kardashian's enormous social following. When the, I guess the key to our success is that Kim and I brought a truly differentiated product to the market. We saw a category in which we felt the consumers were really being shortchanged, highly discounted, um, relatively poor product, commodity products were sold um, through mainly traditional retail channels, which by themselves were downtrending, albeit slowly, but over time downtrending. Um, you know, the majority of underwear was bought in places like Macy's or JCPenney's. We felt there was a we felt there was a role for a higher quality product at an affordable price. So we spent three years before we launched just developing fabrications. And if you ask a Skims customers what they love, I'm sure they love our partnership with Fendi or the Olympics or the girls from White Lotus or Ice Spice. But the reason they come back is because Skims product offer a value for money, even at a premium, that you can't find anywhere else. And that's how I felt. And I'm a Nike buff. I'm a total Jordan freak. And brand Jordan, to a large extent, was the inspiration to both myself and Kim, looking at how do you build a legacy brand built around someone's fame and following. And Nike as a company might not be the cheapest, but Nike products still offer tremendous value for money. Nike Air, Dry Fit. I mean, it's a $50 t-shirt, but that t-shirt will look exactly the same two years from the day you bought it after a hundred washes and many sessions in the gym. So to me, that's great value for money. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I'm curious, where did you learn to become an entrepreneur originally? Like who influenced and planted those seeds for you? I wanted to be successful. And I guess no one gave me the right job. <laughs> I have, from my early days in Stockholm in independent publishing, I came to London to work with Tyler and work with Wallpaper and really thought I had a career in magazines and Tyler had other plans. He had started an advertising agency at the time called Wink. So I ended up working at Wink where I led a pretty disastrous global campaign for Time magazine. I, uh, I learned something from that experience, which is you got to be careful with what you can sell. You know, we sold the idea to Time 
that they really own the color red. They were the original. This is their color. And after this billboard campaign ran across Europe, the chief executive of The Economist called uh, the editor of Time to thank him because wherever we advertised, sales of The Economist went up. <laughs> so Interesting. Uh, I learned two things out of that experience. Be careful with what you can convince someone else of. But perhaps more importantly, how great it is not to be fired when you screw up. There is nothing can take the place out of the university of life. And um, I, I, I'm really grateful for Tyler for keeping me employed after that campaign and, and giving me a chance to learn from my many, many mistakes. <laughs> when, I, when I was in my mid-20s, um, I just turned 25. Eric, who is my business partner in many ventures to this date, we started Frame together. We, we had a, a whole chapter together with the Saturday group. We started two magazines together. I'm the godfather to his children and, and, and his to mine. We wanted to work together. That's something we really wanted to do. It's quite rare people employ two friends, say both of you guys come on in here, right? So we couldn't get a job together. We could get a job, but we couldn't get one together. So starting Saturday was really out of necessity. So we were able to uh, yeah, continue our partnership. Yeah, yeah. And I, I guess today, what is your, what would you say is your kind of overarching philosophy when it comes to your approach to business and entrepreneurship, do you have a set of personal principles that guide you as a business owner, whether it's for Skims or for your previous companies? Absolutely. I have, I think Picasso said great, you know, good artist borrows and great artists steal. I would say the same thing for marketeers. Um, so I've lifted this from the ad agency mother who later took a chance on Eric and I and set us up in business, you know, in our early 20s. They used to have a philosophy summed up in three sentences. It went something like this. Do good work. If you do good work, have fun doing it. And as a byproduct of doing good work and having good time, you'll make money. And I have taken that philosophy for everything I've done, you know, for my, for my career. If money is, if money is the purpose, you'd be surprised. It's very rarely the result in life. You have to do something you want to do. I have to wake up in the morning. And as I've approached new companies, new investments, new brands, I wake up and it's not like I want to do it. It's like I cannot not do it. I can't leave it alone. My enthusiasm is going in this direction. So I let myself be led by my own momentum more so than my rational self. Is this a great idea or is it not a good idea? When we started an advertising agency at the age of 25 with no clients, you couldn't find anyone that would say, that's a great idea. 
when we later started Frame in our early 30s, denim, not even our partners thought going into the jeans business was a good idea. Totally oversaturated and way past its peak. And when Kim and I and Emma started to pursue skims, I heard all the same things again. I think you need to be led by what you get enthusiastic about. And then you can apply all the filters and be, be your own toughest critic in making sure you're actually bringing something that is adding to the conversation, something new to the market, or at least a different point of view. And if you do that, you know, more times than not, it's going to work out. It, it, it is going to work out. So, yeah, I'll say my philosophy is, is, is do good work. If you do good work, you generally have a good time doing it. And if you're a good time doing good work, you tend to make money. So it's pretty simple. It's a pretty simple philosophy. <laughs> <laughs> um, for those who in our audience that may not be familiar with the origin story here, can you um, talk about just how your journey with Skims started? Uh, what was what's what's the origin story and how did how did it become you know what it is today? What was that first you know, year like for you? Sometimes I have a hard time putting everything in a perfect chronological order or defining that moment when an idea pass between an idea and a reality. Mm -hmm. But around the time that Emma and I moved, Emma is my wife and and, and also a founder of, of Skims, as well as um, her own brand, Good American, amongst other things. Uh, I guess most people know her these days from Shark Tank. Um, when, um, when we first moved here six years ago, Kim and I started to have a conversation about what ultimately was going to become Skims. She felt that she couldn't find the right product for her. She wanted shapewear in particular to do a certain job that it just didn't do for her. It flattened her. It wasn't, um, she could never match it to her own skin tone. She felt it was restricted in, uh, in optionality. And I was very much thinking the same thing about underwear and not just for women's, but for men's, for the entire category. And these two ideas got somehow intertwined. She had a very clear point of view on the aesthetic of the company, of the brand, of the color palette, of the vibe. You know, this intangible thing that is so incredibly important, yet we can never really quite articulate it. And when she showed me, I remember seeing the color palette um, and a photo from a photographer called Vanessa Beecroft. And in that moment, I got so excited. I just remembered, I have to do this. I have to help make this a reality. I, I have, I have to this just has to be made. It's that feeling. I was busy at the time. 
I had no shortage of things to do. The last thing, and I felt like this since I was in my mid-20s, the last thing I need is another project. Yet, I seem to find them. <laughs> I just looked at this and said, this is, this, is, this is different. This is different somehow. And you asked me earlier what my philosophy was. I have a second philosophy, even simpler. And I tell everybody I work with the same thing. You are the consumer. If you don't want to pay full price for this, or if you don't think your partner should pay full price for this, if it's a like, don't do it. You got to love it. Not for somebody else. You got to love it for you. Because if you are the customer of what you make, chances are someone else is as well. So when Emma and I saw this, it was, it was game over. We wanted the product. We wanted, we wanted this brand from the moment I saw this. So we went to work and I knew that what truly differentiates an apparel company is innovation. Price is not a great moat. Someone can always make it cheaper. Hmm. Marketing can be, is not necessarily a great moat. It draws people in, but marketing doesn't create retention. The product creates retention. So I knew just how important it was for us to develop our own fabric base. And Kim and I and Emma went to work. And a few years later, when we came out with our seamless scalp shapewear, our skims cozy, the fits everybody underwear, these are franchises. They do something that other products simply didn't do uh, on the market. And they did it at the price, which I still think is unbeatable for the value, for the quality that we've that we've been able to deliver. So I, I think that was really the inflection point. What we could never have anticipated, and I want to give some credit to luck, you know, timing. Timing is the one thing you can never see ahead, but it's easy to see in the rear view mirror. We say hindsight is 2020 and timing is something you will never understand until many years after. And four years in of this journey, since we launched Skims, it's very clear to me that timing plays a role in it. So we came to market with this commodity product, but it had an almost sneaker-like hype to it. And the customer base, the, our community really took this and ran with it. We never meant to start a drop-based brand that was going to be out of stock, in stock, out of stock for the first few years. We really just wanted to make a great company. We never anticipated that happening. And after, I think, three, four months, I think we had over 2 million people on wait lists for our product. We were blown away and terrified at the same time. Because while customers could be happy to wait or miss out on a new Jordan, our product was something you wore closest to your body. It's not something that was easily shown off. So, you know, as much as that cr actually the scarcity crafts demand, 
you know, it also pisses people off. So it's a balance we've tried to strike ever since as the company, of course, have, uh, it, 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 you know, it's, it's a different, it's a different thing today than it was back then. Um, but to, to a large extent, we still, we, 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 we still fight, um, between, you know, our, our demand and, and, uh, our supply. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, fashion and style, which, you know, are arguably big parts of skims are often barometer of the times, you know, what, so what kind of conversation do you think skims is contributing to that is a reflection of our culture and our time right now? It's a great question. I think that the first half of my career, I was part of creating a more or less unattainable image. And that was what fashion and luxury goods marketing was all about. This kind of image on a pedestal that if you buy this top at H&M for 1999, somehow you're going to be a little bit more like Giselle. You know, if you buy uh, this handbag, you're going to become a little bit more like Penelope Cruz, etc. And I think that today the consumer is the star. The consumer is the star. It's got to work for the consumer. You got to make the consumer. You got to make the consumer confident. It's about their confidence. It's about their vibe. And you can inspire and excite and converse with them. But social media has turned us all into superstars of our own lives. And that is a tremendous emotional shift. And I don't compare schemes to Victoria's Secrets too often. And part of that is because schemes really makes the the dominant part of our business is actually lounge and that lounge is worn out and Victoria's Secrets, you know, predominantly is an under true underwear brand. And I think it's a, it's a difference from how we do business, um, and the products we make and at the price we, we, we sell them. But where I would make a comparison is that I believe Victoria's Secret really was part of, um, that prior generation of brands in which they really put their marketing on a pedestal and created an unattainable image that you had to aspire to. Mm -hmm. And I think skims is a reflection of its community. So, um, I would say that's a, a big part of our success. And ultimately this company, this idea, this project we have together, Kim, me, Emma, and the team here in Culver City is to make a brand that is a reflection of us and make the products we want to wear and photograph and create content with people that excites us. We're not separated from the customer. I think we are the customer. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, obviously there are 
a million celebrity brands out there. Have you noticed any shifts or changes from your perspective in terms of the culture of celebrity entrepreneurship over the years? How has that kind of evolved from, you know, I guess the 90s or 2000s to what we're seeing today and 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 how, you know, social media influences that and, and you know, all the things that are kind of um, part of the conversation? That's another great question. And I'm actually very excited you're asking it because it has shifted dramatically. Today, it's taken seriously. We're, in, mm. we're allowing each other to be multifaceted, you know, and, and cover more than one discipline. And going back in time, that certainly wasn't the case. Celebrity brands tended to be licensed product, generally in big box retail, you know, um, there was fragrance this, some pop star fragrance that, or celebrity couple in Coles and celebrity couple that in Macy's. Um, it wasn't done, it wasn't brands that were born out of, let's say, an idea, wanting to bring something to the conversation. It wasn't brands brought out because there was a difference in product. They were really financial opportunities for talent of that time to leverage their, their, their fame and fan base, essentially. And I think this era we are in today, you know, no success has just one offer. There, there could be many offers, you know to 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 um, to a moment to a success but i'll mention a few dr dre and jimmy Iovine with beats um of course michael jordan i bought my first jordans when i was 13 years old i'm 45 today so it's a 32 i mean there was jordan two so free so okay jordan is a almost 40 year old celebrity brand mm-hmm and a picture of a kid, I've lost it. I've got to find this picture again. I think it was a kid. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to make something up here. He was walking to school and he's wearing a pair of Jordans and a pair of Beats. And I remember saying to Kim, this kid has never seen Michael Jordan play. His relationship with Jordans isn't based on Michael Jordan, but it's based on the cultural platform that the Jordan brand has built. Constantly finding the next Jordan, the same attitude, you know, between culture and sports. It wasn't just the best athlete. It was athletes that was part of creating culture that is Jordan athlete. And as a result, Jordan today is one of the world's independently one of the strongest apparel brands on the face of the earth. And their drops to this date, for anyone who's a sneaker fan, knows just how hard it is to get the pair of the latest Jordans when they drop. This is 40 years later. So I think Jordan has had 
a big part of it. Um, of course, Beats, which was sold to Apple for, for close to $4 billion, was, um, I think, really made people notice. Um, George Clooney, Randy Gerber, I don't know if you drink Casamigos. I had, I had some this week, actually. <laughs> I, I did too on Saturday. I, yeah. I didn't think about George Clooney, did you? No, no. And, and, and that's the point. This is great product. Jordans, Beats, Casamigos, these are great products. So I really feel that uh, our culture has shifted. And today we celebrate entrepreneurship. And great artists, great actors, great CEOs, rock star CEOs, like let's say Elon Musk, they have the ability to go from one discipline to, to the next, bringing a new point of view into, you know, into an old category. So there's been a tremendous shift over the last decade or so. Celebrity brands used to be, you know, in the periphery of the consumer economy. And today, I actually think that celebrity, for the lack of better words, really is the only cheat code in the consumer economy. It's the only hack. Because we're not watching linear TV. We are turning off ads. We're not reading, you know, we're not reading newspapers on the subway. So the ability, and we're overwhelmed with images. We're just overwhelmed with content. So advertising in a traditional sense, it just doesn't hit us. It just doesn't stick. I remember Super Bowl commercials from my teens. I don't remember Super Bowl commercials from last year. So celebrity, for the lack of better words, it's, it, it's the only hack. I think about Dwayne Johnson. He has a tequila brand called Terramona. Uh, and it's one of the fastest growing and largest spirit brands in America a few years in. If someone gave you and me a billion dollars to put on national TV to build a tequila brand, I swear we wouldn't have half of the brand recognition in the United States that Terramana has. So what is the value of Dwayne Johnson, of his celebrity? Is it a billion dollars? It must be more. So that's, that's, my, that's my perspective. And I think we are only at the beginning. And I think in five years, six years, there'd be hundreds of influencer billionaires um, in the world. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Um, I guess on the other side of that conversation, you know, when you do have a brand that is so uniquely tied to an individual or individuals with so much visibility, how do you handle, you know, what is definitely going to be a disproportionate amount of attention and speculation and scrutiny that's associated with not only a brand and its product, but the people that are so closely associated with it? You take a long view. You take mm. the long view. I know that's very unfashionable today <laughs> to think in five years, 10 years, 20 years. Things change. So yeah. it's, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Kim is one of the most famous people in the world. 
She has the ability to orchestrate news flow. That's a very powerful tool for a brand. For us taking, here I go again with my Nike references, uh, it's, it's getting <laughs> embarrassing. Taking a, a page out of the Jordan book, how do you build a brand inspired by, but not dependent on? Well, you can't do it overnight. There's nothing I can do to overshadow, nor do I want to. But over time, you can associate the brand with other people that are tastemakers in culture. So for us, that work started day one, and we must have taken a hundred no's before we got a yes. We aligned with, you know, Fendi. And we are, by the way, except for Jordan, the only brand to have partnered with an LVMH brand, I think, in the last decade or so. Partnering with the Olympics, Team USA, now extending that into men's for next year. Bringing Brooke Shields out of retirement into underwear. Campaigns with iSpice or CISA. Um, picking up on, you know, the girls that had an iconic performance in, in, in White Lotus during the award season. Constantly trying to put skims in the pop culture conversation. Because Kim is in the pop culture conversation. So a brand in which she's a founder and the creative director also have to have a voice in the pop. It has to be a platform for conversation in pop culture. That's true to her. That's true to Skims. And we are in our second inning building that company. Yeah, I feel like that actually, you know, more or less answers my next question. But, you know, we talked about or you mentioned hype before and Skims is obviously a brand that is driven by celebrity, not just in its co-founder, but also in the talent that you feature in your campaigns and the way that you're seeding product. Um, yeah, I mean, like, what is your approach into tapping into the current zeitgeist of culture on any given day or moment? And you know, I guess the bigger question is, how are you harnessing culture to really fuel commerce? Yeah. Uh, my approach to this is, is, is not scientific. It's not scientific at all. It, it's, it's, it's kind of like simple again. <laughs> it's, uh, do Kim and I like it? <laughs> do are we, do we get excited about the idea? If we get excited about an idea, it's a good idea for us. And if we think it's a good idea, hopefully someone else thinks so too. We've lived in a business, and, and I would say this to anyone listening to this podcast who is in marketing or who is an entrepreneur, especially if you're trying to sell a good direct in the, in the consumer space. Every great American brand, or dare I say global brand, was built in an era before we could measure the direct effects of marketing. From Pepsi to Ford, to Nike to Tesla, they were built before perform and without performance marketing. 
we somehow convinced ourselves that building brands, building business was this linear experience in which we could dictate the endpoint by acquiring customers. This was not true. I think Mark Twain said is not what, and I'd be very embarrassed if it wasn't Mark Twain, maybe one of your listeners will correct me. <laughs> I believe it's Mark Twain who said, it's not what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just isn't so. And 10 years ago, in my involvement in the DTC space, there were three things we all believed were true. First, that CAC or cost of customer acquisition was going to decline over time. It didn't, it went up. We believe that if we sell things at a low gross margin to get the customers in, over time, we can make great improvements. No, you can't. And we believe that these customers that we acquired through a combination, if you think of it, of ads and discounts, ads and discounts, we believe they would behave over time like customers acquired organically. They don't. And we are still working this out of our system because we can measure everything. We can measure how many steps we take, what our sleep is like, what our calories, how to get from A to B. Every single thing is measurable, but it doesn't constitute what makes you successful. So my approach to brand marketing is to make cultural moment that myself, that Kim, that our team are excited about. We did this campaign with Carmen Electra, Jenny McCarthy in the summer, a so swim campaign for absolutely no other reason that we think it would be so fun to do a campaign with Carmen Electra and Jenny McCarthy because we love Baywatch. We love that era. And there's no scientific approach to that stuff. It, it, it's, it's, it, it comes from what you're enthusiastic about. And I think people are so much more dialed into culture than we think we are. We're constantly, you know, filtering trends through us. So I think what you get excited by is probably a great starting point to anything you want to do and, and really try not to be too clever about this stuff. That, yeah, that's, yeah. that's my unscientific and very long winded answer to your question. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you no, know, obviously, you know, uh, since you started the brand, it's scaled up very quickly. I'm curious about your perspective on the difference between, or where you find yourself on the spectrum between progress and perfection. You know, when do you know to continue iterating and perfecting? And when do you know that it's time to move forward onto the next thing? How, where do you find yourself on that, that spectrum? Two things comes to mind, Coca-Cola and LVMH, or in fact, the Coca-Cola bottle. It's the same, but it's always changing. A Levi's 501 doesn't look anything like a Levi's 501 15 years ago or 
Levi's 501 from my childhood. Even core isn't core. There's no such thing as constant. Products have to slightly evolve ever so slightly. Even your most beloved products are always somehow changing just a little bit. It's the same, but it's not the same. Think about a car. Think about what makes a BMW a BMW. What are the characteristics? It doesn't look like the last car. It doesn't look like a BMW for 20 years ago. It's always changing. So I, I take that approach to product. Product always evolving a little bit. Where you always have to try to make it better. There's no doubt about it. You constantly have to... Um, you constantly have to, to evolve. And as it pertains to a brand, you have to dare to disrupt yourself. The greatest companies are competing with themselves. And Louis Vuitton or LVMH is a great example. How many times haven't we been left all confused when a new creative director takes over a house before that person prior had hit their peak. And I once asked, um, his name is, it's escaping me. Let's see if I can, uh, um, Pierre-Yves Roussel, he was the chairman of LVMH Fashion. I remember interviewing him for a magazine once, for, for my magazine industry, actually. And he said to me, the secret to our success is that we transform on the way up. We don't wait until our brands are at a plateau. When the brands are at the plateau, reinvention is too hard. Reinvention takes a long time. You're never going to hit the peak and make the decision in the right moment you need it. So we make the decision before we need it. We'll take a world famous designer, I guess, as I'm looking at this, right? And they'll bring in another designer before that person's aesthetic has been fully realized. And, and um, I try to keep this in mind in all business and you know, I tend not to regret many things I've done, but I tend to regret the things I didn't do. Whenever I was too comfortable, when I didn't want to change, when I was scared that change would lead to a worse result, you tend to regret not having made that change in hindsight. Yeah, that, I mean, perfect segue. I was going to ask, you know, what are you, what, are you scared of anything? Like what... What and conversely, what kind of gives you courage to really not only stand up for your own ideas, but also tackle scary problems and scale daunting mountains um, as an entrepreneur and business owner? I think it's petrifying. I'm, you know, I'm, 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 I'm very paranoid. Uh, I, um, there was a guy I worked with who unexpectedly quit. And um, I liked him very much. He was a great guy. Um, but really over, like from one day to the, to the next. And I've never got an explanation and I never asked him why. Because he left a gift behind. In my office the next day, there was a framed poster. I think he made it himself. And it said, 
if you're not paranoid, you're not looking hard enough. And um, I kept it for many years. I think it's a uh, it's a perfect it, it's a, it's a great thing to to remind yourself of in business. Everything we do is, of course, we can be outcompeted. Everybody can be outcompeted for every Kim, for every me, for every Skims, for every Nike. There's someone else wanting to take your spot and willing to work their ass off to get it. So you got to stay paranoid. You got to stay paranoid. So there's, there's, there's no shortage of things that worry me. And hopefully, uh, you know, th that, that makes me a good entrepreneur, but you know, I don't think you ever get too comfortable. No, you, and if you ever do, you have to have these examples. You know, that's why I keep quoting all these people because my I've collected all these relationships and memories and quotes, and I use it to motivate myself. I, I, I'm using it to remind myself that, you know, we're not entitled to anything. We're not entitled. You know, we got to... We got to go up and get it every day. Let's go. Yeah. Yeah. I guess on the other side of that coin, what do you find gives you peace? You're asking a middle-aged man with four young children. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the answer is <laughs> not, not very much. Um, <laughs> I truly love what I do. I'm a fan of the business I'm in. For God's sake, I started two magazines dedicated to chronicling the lives and people in my own industry. So I'm a, I'm a fan. I'm a disciple. And, um, you know, I still think of myself very much as an outsider um looking in so you know most days i i really get a lot of energy from just doing what i do it, it i i i think i have a great job um and you know never know where the next project or idea is going to come from but that's what i feed off you know i i feed off the um the opportunity to create something new Philip Johnson, the architect, said, why would I go on holiday when I can build houses? And, uh, you know, I think, why would I, why, why, would, why would I rest when I can build companies? This is, this is the most fun I could have. Did it take a long time for you to discover your own voice and what you kind of wanted to stand for, for yourself? Or have you always had that, um, you know, since the formative years of your career? No, I'm still searching. I'm, I'm still searching for, for my voice. I'm still searching for my purpose. Um, hopefully I'll figure it out one day. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a journey. <laughs> um, it is, it is. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not joking, actually. I think that uh, some of the most interesting people I've ever met are searching for their purpose, 
you know, in their 70s. I spoke to my mom the other day. Uh, she's an artist in, 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 in Sweden. And she has so much she wants to say. Not to me. I mean, she does have a lot to say to me, generally. But uh, she has so much she wants to express. She has so much mm -hmm. she wants to do. And she doesn't feel that she's done it yet. And, uh, and, and I... Uh, I, I love that. I, I, I love that. I, I hope um, I'll stay the same way. What is your definition of glory for yourself, um, for your business? How do you, how does that word, how do you embody that word? Glory. Wow. How do I define glory? I, I mean, I, glory to me is associated with winning. That's for sure. And uh, I want to be proud of what I'm involved with, what I'm associated with. I want to be proud of the, uh, of the end product of the totality of what I'm, uh, what I, what I'm part of creating with my partners. Um, you know, I'm a soccer player. I'm a team sports guy. So, you know, I can't just win. We all got to win. I think that's, that's really the most important, the most important thing, the, the sense of a group of individuals coming together, having a, you know, an idea and a dream and turning that from a bunch of words around the glass of from, you know, a bunch of words when you have a glass of wine or whatever into something that millions of customers interact with and have their own personal relationship with. That to me is, 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 a, is a privilege. Um, I'm lucky to be part of that a couple of times. And um, it's so hard that I feel that the feeling of glory or the feeling of winning is, 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 is somewhat fleeting. It's very brief. Um, I would say the, the, the stress of it all is, is, is uh, far more prevalent. <laughs> you know, I don't, I, don't, I don't wake up thinking I won. I, I, I wake up thinking, Jesus Christ, what, what do we have to do today? <laughs> To make sure we stay in stay in the conversation, stay in the game. Yeah, yeah. Um, last question. We talk a lot about purpose and mission on our show here. What does what's your mission at the end of the day? I mean, I think you can define. I I would have to. It's not just one thing. For my family, it is to be. You know. Uh, a great husband, a great father to my children, to my wife, and to my and a great friend to my friends. I say that sounds a little bit cheesy, but but really, as I got a bit older, that really is my first priority in life. That's my, you know, my family and my friends are my my my. That's my base. That's my power base in life. You know, that's the, that's the source of energy right there. Um. From a business point of view, I still have, and I'm not going to tell you what they are, I still have <laughs> big dreams. And 
I feel that I might be in the third inning of my career, but I have a lot of game to go. And I'm still learning. It feels like I wasn't even getting any good at what I did until I was 40. I was an idiot in my 30s. What was I doing with all that time? And before I had kids, I had so much time. What did I do with it? <laughs> if there's anything I regret is thinking back, thinking, what the hell did I do with all those evenings and mornings? Why did I sleep in? <laughs> you know, I think yeah. uh, the quote is, you know, early to bed, early to rise, work is hell and advertise. I just wish I kind of understood that when I was 25. I was too excited about everything else, you know. So I think I have a lot of game left in me, but I think we all want to be good citizens and set good example for our children. And I want to be involved uh, in a positive way in the, in, 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 in the economy, in the consumer economy, in the fashion industry. I want to make products that people love and are not disposed of. And that it, it's, it's, um, it, it, it's a journey. If I can do some of that, I'll be um, a very lucky man. So uh, I, I try to put one foot in front of each other and, and, and I hope it all works out, you know, one way or another. I didn't sit at 30 thought I'm going to be partners with Kim Kardashian and build schemes when I'm 45. I didn't think that at 37. You know, I didn't think when I started my first agency at 25 that I would be, you know, the chairman of an agency group within Omnicom at 37. I, I didn't think of any of those things. I didn't think about when I started industry, the fact that as exciting industry was, as, you, as, as purposeless it was when Instagram came around. I, I don't know if you can, you can't call the future, but you can call today. You can, you can get up and you can do the absolute best you can with the opportunity that you have. And again, do good work. Normally you have fun. The rest of it works out from there. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for your time and just incredible insights and anecdotes. And it was lovely just to chat with you and felt like a conversation. So I really, really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Jens. Thank you. I really, I really, do, I really do enjoy it. And people don't ask me much for very, very often, maybe because I waffle on so much. So uh, thank you for giving me the audience to <laughs> off my chest. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate it if you left a review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know what you liked, who you'd like to see on the show, and anything else you want to share. To keep up to date, subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else you listen to your podcast. Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?